0: Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the Rossiter House Museum and Gardens in the Historic Galley section of Melbourne, Florida. It's also made possible by Florida's Space Coast Office of Tourism, representing destinations from Titusville to Cocoa Beach to Melbourne Beach. <music> This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Broatmarkle, and coming up on the program, we'll remember poet, author, and performing artist Maya Angelou.
1: All people, all
2: people need to know uh, their heritage. A person who doesn't know where he's been has very little chance of charting where he or she is going.
0: The Florida Historical Society Archaeological Institute presents the Cemeteries as Living History Symposium on June 21st.
3: They provide information on social structure, social stratification, Technology, we get a lot of information from grave good assemblages, what people are buried with.
0: And we'll visit the Maitland Art Center, built by Andre Smith in the 1930s, as a private artist's compound. All that ahead on Florida Frontiers.
1: Mr. President and Mrs. Clinton, Mr. Vice President and Mrs. Gore, and Americans everywhere... A rock, a river, a tree, hosts to species long since departed, marked the mastodon, the dinosaur, who left dry tokens of their sojourn here. Any broad alarm of their hastening doom is lost in the gloom of dust and ages, but today The rock cries out to us clearly, forcefully, come, you may stand upon my back and face your distant destiny, but seek no haven in my shadow. I will give you no hiding place down here.
0: Poet, author, and performing artist Maya Angelou died on May 28th at the age of 86. She has written more than 30 best-selling books, including the autobiography, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Her latest work was as a contributor to the book, Reflections from Zora, celebrating 25 years of the Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities, published earlier this year by the Florida Historical Society Press. In an archived interview, Maya Angelou explains how Florida writer, folklorist, and anthropologist Zora Neale Hurston influenced her life and work.
2: Miss Hurston's work encouraged me and informed me, and did all the things that great literature, you know, must do for uh, for the species. Um, I would, I I, I find it impossible to say where. You know that her dialogue, or her prose, or her immediacy, because she uses a language which is absolutely immediate. Uh, whether what what of those facets of her her work has impressed and influenced me, I read everything. So, and I don't take a book and say, ah. Okay, from this I'm going to get alliteration, uh, you see. Uh, in this particular instance, I'm going to look for imagery. I don't do that. I simply read. Just take it, put it in the brain. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't say exactly how, but I know that she is a major influence in my life.
0: Maya Angelou served on the advisory board of the Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities since its inception more than 25 years ago. Maya Angelou remembered the first time she encountered Hurston's work.
2: Yes, I would have said I read her first in the 40s when I was reading. I had one period in my life for almost six years. I was a mute, and um, I read everything. So I could, uh, I, would, I would have read um, first her first in the 40s, and then again in the 50s.
0: In 1993, Maya Angelou read her new poem, On the Pulse of the Morning, at the inauguration ceremony of President Bill Clinton. I asked her about the experience one year later, in January 1994.
2: Very exciting. It's very challenging. Uh, It's almost impossible to write a public poem. I mean, the two two words are mutually exclusive, you understand. (laughs) um, and, And people began to feel they owned the poem long before I wrote it. So on planes and in supermarkets and down the street, people would say, hi, how are you doing? How's the poem coming? <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> um, the, the idea, the ambition to speak for my country, for my fellows Americans, is a vast ambition. Um, I, I had to continue to put myself at ease by remembering that Miss Emily Dickinson, traveled 67 miles from her home, and she spoke for human beings. Her poetry is for human beings. Um, I had to continue to remember that there were people, whether they were as ambulatory or, or uh, as uh, much given to travel as um, Walt Whitman or as centered as Paul Lawrence Dunbar, that people dared to speak for all people. You see, that's the only way I could approach it with any grace
1: and hope for
2: success.
1: But seek no haven in my shadow. I will give you no hiding place down here. You, created only a little lower than the angels, have crouched too long in the bruising darkness, have lain too long face down in ignorance, your mouths spilling words armed for slaughter. The rock cries out to us today, you may stand upon me, but do not hide your face. Across the wall of the world, a river sings a beautiful song. It says, come, rest here by my side. Each of you, a bordered country, delicate and strangely made, proud, yet thrusting perpetually. Under siege, your armed struggles for profit have left collars of waste upon my shore, currents of debris upon my breast. Yet today, I call you to my riverside, if you will study war no more.
0: Maya Angelou was involved with several major film projects, including directing the 1996 feature film Down in the Delta. The year before our conversation in 1994, Maya Angelou participated in the film Poetic Justice, starring Janet Jackson and directed by John Singleton.
2: Well, that did not please me as much as I would have liked. John Singleton is, if not a genius, he's close enough for country and Western music. You know, he's, he's, uh, however, um, the, the use of profanity uh, and, and vulgarity, really, uh, disturbed me. He's so brilliant, he really doesn't have to do that, and I'm, I'm, I'm told he's not do, going to do that in his next, next film. Um, yes, that's, it's nice to, to uh, be thought of as contemporary by people who are 18 and, <laughs> and 20. <laughs> you know, it's very flattering.
0: Maya Angelou's incredibly varied career included a tour of Europe and a production of Porgy and Bess, an album of music called Calypso Lady, as well as more than 30 best-selling books. She was active in the civil rights movement, working with both Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. She received the Presidential Medal of Arts in 2000 and the Lincoln Award in 2008. She was Reynolds Professor of American Studies at Wake Forest. Maya Angelou was very supportive of the Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities, presented annually in Eatonville, Florida, believing in its mission to preserve African American history and culture.
2: All people, all people need to know uh, their heritage. A person who doesn't know where he's been has very little chance of charting where he or she is going. You must know and I do believe that people live in direct relation to the heroes and sheroes they have always and in always and all those people who went before and paid for you Mr. Broke-Michael and for me need to be cherished when needs to just the grace of saying thank you uh, increases and enriches our present lives and prepares us to enrich the lives of those who are yet to come it is very clear um, this festival is, um, has a singular importance. Um, it is not a festival in New York City or in Hollywood. It's not a festival in Chicago or any of the big metropoli of the world. It's in Eatonville, Florida. And so it is singular in that the festival, its existence itself educates without a person having to even come here. He or she is forced to recognize this was the first incorporated all-black town in the United States. That's fantastic to know. Many black people don't know that there were any, and not to mention whites, or Spanish-speaking, or Native American, you see? So it has a singular importance. Now then, of course, the larger importance, or maybe the more glamorous and attractive importance that it brings together these people who have achieved and we get a chance to say to the young people, steady on, come on, you know, and do it, and we believe in you and all the good things. It really uh, is remarkable in itself and of itself. And so the, um, the conveners have had great dreams. This is a very ambitious project.
0: Poet, author, and performing artist Maya Angelou passed away on May 28th at the age of 86. Her latest work was as a contributor to the book Reflections from Zora, celebrating 25 years of the Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities, published earlier this year by the Florida Historical Society Press.
1: Yet today, I call you to my riverside if you will study war no more. Come, clad in peace, and I will sing the songs the Creator gave to me when I and the tree and the rock were one. Before cynicism was a bloody seer across your brow, and when you yet knew, you still knew nothing. The river sang and sings on. There is a true yearning to respond to the singing river and the wise rock. So say the Asian, the Hispanic, the Jew, the African, the Native American, the Sioux, the Catholic, the Muslim, the French, the Greek, the Irish, the rabbi, the priest, the sheik, the gay, the straight, the preacher, the privileged, the homeless, the teacher, they all hear the speaking of the tree. They hear the first and last of every tree speak to humankind today. Come to me here beside the river. Plant yourself beside the river. Each of you, descendant of some past-owned traveler, has been paid for. You who gave me my first name. You Pawnee, Apache, Seneca. You Cherokee Nation, who rested with me, then forced on bloody feet, left me to the employment of other seekers, desperate for gain, starving for gold. You, the Turk, the Arab, the Swede, the German, The Eskimo, the Scots, you, the Ashanti, the Yoruba, the crew, bought, sold, stolen, arriving on a nightmare, praying for a dream. Here, root yourselves beside me. I am that tree planted by the river which will not be moved. I, the rock, I, the river, I, the tree, I am yours. Your passages have been paid. Lift up your faces. You have a piercing need for this bright morning dawning for you. History, despite its wrenching pain, cannot be unlived, but if faced with courage, need not be lived again.
0: This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. I'm Ben Broatmarkle. Visit us on the web at myfloridahistory.org to find great books on Florida history and culture, listen to archived editions of this program, watch original video, and much more. To find out about getting our journal, The Florida Historical Quarterly, just click on the Join Now button. That's myfloridahistory.org. Florida Historical Society Archaeological Institute is presenting a symposium called Cemeteries as Living History, Saturday, June 21st from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. at the historic Rossiter House Museum and Gardens in the O'Galley section of Melbourne, Florida. Dr. Rachel Wentz is director of the Florida Historical Society Archaeological Institute.
3: Well, in archaeology, cemeteries are, of course, are a vital component part of archaeological studies. About 80% of the information we get from archaeological sites actually comes from cemeteries. So so they're critical to archaeological studies. They provide information on social structure, stru- social stratification, technology. We get a lot of information from grave good assemblages, what people are buried with, Um, Even the position of the body, how the grave is constructed, tells us a lot about belief systems within societies, rank. Um, And, of course, that's not even beginning to talk about what the skeletons tell us. Skeletons now are such a vital part of archaeological studies. They give us information as to past diet, lifestyle, um, disease processes. We can trace the origins of diseases by studying skeletons. So taken as a whole, cemeteries provide a tremendous amount of information for archaeologists.
0: In addition to learning about what burial practices can tell us about a society and its culture, participants in the Cemeteries as Living History Symposium will get an overview of historic cemeteries in the state. Ben DiBiase is Director of Educational Resources for the Florida Historical Society. So, Europeans have
4: lived in Florida for over 500 years, beginning with the Spanish, again with the later with the French, uh, and then the British period, and, and the Americans in the 19th century. Uh, and as one might assume, in these small European settlements, when people died, they had to be buried somewhere. Uh, in cities like Pensacola, uh, the residents established what is uh, now known as the St. Michael's Cemetery. And although it was originally uh, planned for only Catholics, there are a number of, of non-Catholics buried there. In fact, it's one of the oldest of the historic cemeteries in Florida with over 3,000 known burials. Uh, in St. Augustine, there are a couple of, of historic cemeteries. The Tolomato, which was the Catholic Cemetery and the Huguenot Cemetery, where all of the Protestants were buried. And both of those date back to the 18th century. And of course, there's the St. Augustine National Cemetery, where uh, there are a number of, of soldiers who were buried in the 19th century, including those who were killed in the uh, famous, or infamous rather, Dade Massacre in 1835. Uh, but a lot of people aren't aware of the large cemetery down in Key West. Because in the 19th century, Key West was one of the largest cities in Florida because of its location as a, uh, as a trade port. Uh, in fact, today, the historic Key West Cemetery is still being used, and there are over 100,000 people buried in that cemetery. It's absolutely enormous, uh, and it's growing, it's growing every year. Uh, so it's a fascinating history, some of these, uh, some of these European uh, burial sites, like I said, that date back centuries.
0: Also included in the Cemeteries as Living History Symposium will be a tour of the historic Houston Family Cemetery at the Rossiter House Museum. Ben DiBiase.
4: Sure, and like the uh, the larger cemeteries in St. Augustine, Pensacola, and Key West, a lot of the smaller towns in Florida, of course, had their own small cemeteries. Um, and before there were large cities that were established uh, in Brevard County, for instance, there were small family plots that were established essentially on the family's plantation, somewhere in the back part of the plantation. And this instance is no different. The Houstons first came to Brevard County in the mid-19th century, uh, just before the American Civil War. And John Carroll Houston is actually the uh, the oldest known burial in that site. He died in 1885, and his headstone is actually still there. Now, his descendants are also buried with him. So these family plots, like I said, would generally start with one or two people, the head of the, of the household or whomever, and then grow and include extended family members until the city would, would become large enough to develop its own uh, city cemetery. So the Houston Family Cemetery, from what we know, contains somewhere between 30 and 40 uh, uh, grave sites, although many of them are unmarked. Um, but we're uh, working to kind of piece together a lot of the historical information to find out exactly who's buried there. But there are young children, some as young as two years old, who would have died in the early 19th century, often of, of disease. And then, like I said, John Carroll Houston, who uh, lived into his 80s, who died there in, in 1885.
0: Seminars on preserving historic cemeteries have recently been conducted at various locations, but FHS-AI director Rachel Wenz points out that this symposium is different.
3: Many people are probably familiar with the Crypt Course that's offered by the Florida Public Archaeology Network, which is a wonderful hands-on course about how to deal with the logistics of historic cemeteries, and they teach how to clean a headstone, how to maintain them, some of those best practices, and we're going to cover that, but we're kind of looking at historic Historic cemeteries and prehistoric cemeteries in a broader perspective. The cemetery, the symposium is going to be, you know, a three-hour morning symposium where we're going to talk about every aspect of cemeteries and, and what kind of information they afford us from an archaeological perspective, from a cultural perspective. So it's going to be more um, of an engaging discussion in the role of cemeteries in, in modern life and in research.
0: The Florida Historical Society Archaeological Institute is presenting a symposium called Cemeteries as Living History, Saturday, June 21st from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. at the historic Rossiter House Museum and Gardens in the O'Galley section of Melbourne, Florida. This is Florida Frontiers. On his way to Miami in the 1930s, artist and architect Andre Smith saw the sunset on Lake Sibelia and decided he didn't need to go any further south than Maitland, just north of Orlando. As Robert Casanello from RobertCasanello.com reports, Smith built an artist's compound that is now the Maitland Arts Center.
5: Andre Smith was born in Hong Kong and ended up in New England. Very few people know that he was one of the um, originators of the designs of camouflage for the U.S. Army. He was comfortable with the fact that he didn't receive a lot of recognition as well. Um, even in his artwork, he was comfortable with the idea that he could give the stage to young and upcoming artists, considered his own gallery a platform for the advancement of um, upcoming artists rather than himself.
6: That was Bethany Gray, Assistant Curator at the Maitland Art Center. She spoke to me about Andre Smith. Smith studied architecture at Cornell University during the turn of the 20th century. It was during his enlistment in the US Army at the time of World War I, where he first blossomed as an artist. Although he was assigned to sketch images of buildings and other structures in Europe, he also created more abstract works on his own time that were more personal in nature. In the late 1930s, he ended up in central Florida to look for a location to begin an artist's colony that would become the Maitland Research Studio. He envisioned a place where artists could meet and discuss techniques, methods, as well as the world around them. Miss Gray tells me why Smith founded the colony in Maitland.
5: Uh, he ended up here just sort of by chance. He was actually headed to Miami to look for property to uh, start his artist colony. On his way back up, just sort of happened on to Maitland and loved the sort of um, bedroom community, the very sort of secluded areas, the, the green, the lakes. It just suited his purpose.
6: Not only did Andre Smith wish to settle his artist colony in a secluded place, but he also wanted his artists to work without distractions. If you drive by the colony today, you will notice walls surrounding the grounds to isolate the artist inside. Miss Gray tells me why this was so important to Andre Smith.
5: The walls around the colony um, absolutely were intended to insulate his artists, um, the the fellows that he brought in here from societal pressure. He's extremely focused on experimentation, and he wants to eliminate any sort of outside influence on his artists, any sort of um, pressure to follow traditional techniques or to... um, maintain a status quo. He's looking for pushing them outside of their comfort zone. He's, he's trying to create an environment of, of, of progress, of experimentation in art, and he tried to invite some of the most progressive artists that he could find to begin with, and then tried to get them to take it a step further inside the walls.
6: With his colony in place, Andre Smith then populated the Maitland Research Studio with artists who would share meals, drinks, and their lives while they were residents at the colony? Miss Gray tells me about the early successes of this project.
5: It's definitely intended to be a scholarly sort of artistic environment. Um, he's trying new things, and they, as they're experimenting, they're making, um, they're making breaking ground and. The developments that they came up with here are then sort of spreading across the modern art world. Um, For example, Boris Margot is here in the late 40s doing experimental print work that um, ends up being featured in major museums in New England, and the techniques are then spread across the country as well.
6: Along with Smith, the philanthropist Mary Curtis Bach, better known for Bach Tower Gardens, and Smith's longtime friends. Achilleo Banca and his wife Florence were the people who were around the research studio year in and year out. When Smith died in 1959, his legacy fell to them to oversee. Miss Gray tells me what happened to the colony after Smith died.
5: The folks that were here working with him as sort of uh, partners and caretakers, the Bancas, stayed on uh, at the property until 1961. Uh, Mary Curtis Bach is still funding them uh, for a few years after Andre passes. But at that point, uh, the experiment is basically over, and um, the Bancas return to their property in New England. And the place itself, um, there is some confusion. It's intended to become part of the Central Florida Museum, but for many years it just sort of laid vacant but the community itself eventually um, demanded that it be preserved and uh, the city of Maitland now owns the property.
6: The artist's job is to explore, to announce new visions, and to open new doors. This is a quote Andre Smith had carved over one of the galleries at the research studio. You can visit his legacy at the Maitland Arts Center. That was Bethany Gray, and I'm Robert Casanello with Florida Frontiers.
0: You've been listening to Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. Join the conversation on Facebook at Florida Historical Society and like our page to receive our daily post today in Florida history. You can also visit us on the web at myfloridahistory.org. Have a great week. I'm Ben Brokmarkle. Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the Rossiter House Museum and Gardens in the Historic Galley section of Melbourne, Florida. It's also made possible by Florida's Space Coast Office of Tourism, representing destinations from Titusville to Cocoa Beach to Melbourne Beach.